We here at Yash Jesus believe that God doesn't make mistakes. Not with people and not with produce. Which is why we're so excited to be partnering with Imperfect Foods. Imperfect Foods is an online grocer that recovers ugly produce and surplus foods that would otherwise go to waste. And delivers fresh, customizable boxes to your door for up to 30% less than the grocery stores. We're talking farmers, market, quality girls. Without the hassle of going out of your house, honey. Without the hassle. And now, Imperfect has has expanded to include pantry staples like lentils, rice, olive oil, and bread, you name it, to help round out your shopping. <laughs> girls, I just got my weekly shipment of imperfect produce, and let me tell you. Ooh, spill it, girl, spill it. I got this ugly little watermelon that puts the pretty little peach in Call Me By Your Name to shame. <laughs> That's the tea! Trust me, you're going to want to get in on this. To get your first shipment of perfectly imperfect farm fresh produce, go to imperfectfoods.com and use the promo code YASJESUS. That's Y-A-S-S-J-E-S-U-S. Welcome to Yas Jesus. We aren't spiritual leaders. We aren't theologians. Or prophets. Or even really that sure of what we're doing. We're just two lost sinners who love the Lord and want to open up his grace to other people who are on this journey alongside us. This isn't a tutorial on how to be Christian, but rather an exploration on what that actually means. In a safe space. Thank you, and God bless. Hello, kings and queens and in-betweens, saints, sinners, losers, and winners. You're listening to another episode of Yas Yas Jesus. Hi, I'm Daniel Francesi. And I'm Azariah Southworth. And today we believe more than ever that... Science and faith will see us through this time. We will be seen through this time. Hi, yes. Azzy. How are you? Hi, I'm good. It's it's hot here in Los Angeles. Yesterday was 97 degrees. You're looking hot with your shaved head. Go on. Yeah, I had a moment <laughs> yesterday in the bathroom. I couldn't do this long, shaggy hair anymore. I like it it's nice and tight. It was a come to Jesus moment. It was a come to Jesus moment. You also changed your Instagram from your name to religious trade. <laughs> All right, call me out. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I remember we were at um, an event and some guy pointed at you and go, that's religious trade. And yeah. you haven't been able to let that go. <laughs> I know. I clung onto that and I am claiming it. I, Honey, I love claim it. it is your own and brand it. Yes, yes, and so um, we are. Let's get right into it. I'd like to start with a prayer request. I have a friend whose father passed away amidst all of this and had to watch his dad's funeral on FaceTime and then witnessed, you know, his family arguing and a bunch of things. And I just think how hard it is that people have to go through normal everyday life trials and now with the separation of not being able to be there for family. So I would like us this week to add in our prayers for those of us who are separated from loved ones during uh, monumental family moments, weddings, funerals, births. My father and my grandmother haven't met my little nephew yet even. They're trying to be extra careful. So for all of us that are away from our family and friends, and on the same token, I'd, I'd like to think on a praise report technology yeah. <laughs> that's keeping us together. Thank you, Al Gore. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to just thank, just in general, what a lovely time, if there was any, to be going through this. I can't imagine what it must have been like in the early 1900s or other times when people have gone through this kind of thing and to legitimately be kept from family and contact. So Yeah, yeah. I want to give praise for the House Party app because and you introduced me to that and it allows you to you know video conference with friends family and play games and it's it's brought my family and I closer. One of my sisters and I have started talking again through there and playing games. This is not an ad for 
the app. No, but, not at all. But I think that, the you know, there are apps out there. Other people saying chat yeah. games. There's other things out there. Yeah. So Marco many ways. Polo, ways that you can communicate with people who normally you wouldn't communicate with. Yeah. So. Yeah. I want to read a praise report here from someone that emailed us on Instagram. He says, just wanted to say, I'm so happy this podcast exists. When I came out 10 years ago, it felt like being gay and calling yourself a Christian was a taboo and idiotic thing to do. It felt like I had to choose one. Despite that, I still persisted in my faith, knowing there was some reason I felt so compelled to stay unwavered. God loves you. Yeah. And so I think that so many more of us are understanding that and realizing that is something special. And well, that letter, is, so, I could have written that letter right. myself. I'm so familiar with that <laughs> yeah. journey of having to choose and having that duality of, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm also queer, and mm-hmm. the two don't go together. And being in those Christian spaces, understanding you're queer and feeling like the outside person, but then also being in the queer spaces and being Christian, feel like you're the outside person. So it's it's great that, you know, more of us are coming together and creating the spaces where we can support each other yeah. in, in our faith walks. The you gag know? is your God's perfect recipe. <laughs> That's the gag. That's the gag, honey. <laughs> it's the gag, <laughs> I love it. Um, well, we have a special guest with us today. I'm so we, excited. <laughs> it's, they are a friend of the show. Yeah, I would say it's our Yash Jesus' official spiritual leader. <laughs> yeah, for real. And we are going to pop in with this gentleman every once in a while just to help us kind of clear our minds, get right with God, you know, get some clarity on things. And so today we have with us Ross Murray. He is the Senior Director of GLAD's Media Institute. And so he's always behind the scenes, but on the front lines when it comes to faith and LGBTQ issues in the media. But he is also a consecrated deacon within the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, also known as ELCA. And he founded a a nonprofit called The Naming Project, which is a faith-based camp for LGBTQ youth and their allies. So welcome, Ross. Welcome, Ross. Hi, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, we got the freaking deacon in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love freaking deacon. I'm going to use that. I love that. Right after I got consecrated, my my husband gave me a gift that he found on the sidewalk, and it's a laminated piece of paper, and one side of it says deacon official business, and the other side says deacon emergency, and it's in my office at work, and I sort of flip it over depending on what my mood is in that time. I love it. Ross, first of all, thank you so much for all that you've done. You've been so instrumental in helping us get Yash Jesus off the ground. Just knowing that you were there gave us so much confidence, your recommendation of guests, your just insight has been so invaluable to us, and we appreciate you. And we're so finally to have you finally here on the pod. Yeah, I've loved this project so much. I think it's been a really important conversation. There's a lot of queer Christian organizations and mm-hmm. groups and things, but the, I love that this is broadcasting out really an unapologetic, like, super queer, super Christian-y, and like not afraid of anything, it feels like. So yeah. that's I, that's why I love being here, and why well, I'm happy to be talking to you. <laughs> Ross and I have a long history. We met initially, Ross is the person who media trained me mm-hmm. on HIV and AIDS for the very first time in a four-hour intensive lesson. I felt very equipped after that to be an advocate. We sat down on the phone, and he just walked me through the, in, the entire dialogue in the Bible of how to handle that stuff. So Ross, you do, you wear many, many, many hats. Yeah. Now I'm calling this episode, call the deacon, because this is a time where shit is just getting crazier. And, and it just feels like this whole thing is just getting weirder and weirder. Right, we don't know what to do yet. Right, right. We were hoping you knew, you know? Right. And I feel like this is a good time to kind of lean in onto our spiritual leaders. So Ross, <laughs> <laughs> Guide help us. us. Step in and, and take over. Yeah. No one in just bleach. That's important. <laughs> Chloraxicara. <laughs> It goes really well with a Tide Pod garnish. 
Um, yeah, so I think you've seen some really some spiritual leaders that have really figured out how to step up in this time. I'll be honest, there are some religious leaders that have been just as obstinate, right? And they have driven me crazy. But then I see so many folks that before this never wanted to go online or broadcast out their worship service. And you know what? This has forced them to do it. And they have figured out how to reach members of their congregation, reach people outside of their community, share a message has actually gone way wider. Mm -hmm. And I think for some folks, like that experience has been a really grounding experience of, okay, I'm stuck at home, but I know I'm still a part of a community. And the religious leaders that I know are working so hard, these pastors and clergy, to make sure that people still feel like they're connected and a part of community and have some sense of spiritual grounding Mm -hmm. when everything around you feels like it's constantly changing all the time. I want to tell you, I want to go back to your origin story and ask you, how did you grow up? Did you grow up in the church? I did. My family's really involved in our church. I have always been Lutheran, which is not the biggest denomination. You ever like see popular depictions of Lutheranism? It's the Frozen Chosen or the Garrison Keillor stories or stuff like that. But I've always been really involved. A ton of youth stuff went to and worked at a Lutheran Bible camp. And that prompted me from there. I went from all that activity in high school to going to college and getting a degree in youth family ministry. And then on to seminary where I got a master's degree, which is what I needed to be a deacon. All this stuff really well integrated for the most part in my life. Like I kind of came out in college. I was kind of out and proud and very active in campus ministry and didn't see that conflict. And so I felt really really comfortable. You know, I didn't realize other people had the same kind of conflict until after college, I joined this traveling music ministry team program and they didn't quite know what to do with me. And they clearly had queer people before, Mm -hmm. but I was just vocal about it. So your family had been very acceptive though. Yeah, my family was fine. I, I feel like I had one awkward conversation with my mom when I kind of first came out, but that's also because I'm really like Minnesota, Scandinavian, and we don't say things direct at all. So I'm sure I said something like, I think I feel like I might have the possibility of being gay. So I gave many, like, um, I kind of sort of think that there might be a chance that I like penises. Possibly, maybe, no. Yes. So she was like, well, don't commit to anything now. Like, you know, maybe things will change. And then like two weeks later, she talked to my dad and came back and asked me some very blunt questions and I gave her some very honest answers and you're like okay yeah you really are gay and then and then it was fine after that (laughs) so you didn't grow up ELCA because that was established in 1988 is that correct yeah it was I think 88 or 89 so it's odd people older than me will talk about what predecessor body they were a part of and Mm -hmm. I honestly can't remember (laughs) what mine was because I was too young I was like a kid so I was like I pretty much identify with the ELCA as a denomination knowing that I came from like three other bodies. Because one thing about Lutheranism in America is it's so tied to immigration. And I think Lutheranism has great theology. We have a really strong emphasis on grace, Mm -hmm. on understanding that there's nothing that we can do to really earn God's love and favor, but that God gives us this gift of grace and our salvation comes from God and we don't do anything to get it. It just happens. I think that's great and accessible. Mm -hmm. And every time we've always been so like Ludafisk and Jello and like those kind of insider jokes actually takes away from the reality of like how good and rich Lutheran theology is. And we've been working and getting better at that. There are clearly Lutherans that are not German or Scandinavian, 
And that's been growing. And I think that's been one big focus for us as a denomination is to make sure that we really put forward. We are driven by people who believe in grace through faith. And that's what's going to reach people, not Ludafisk and Jello. And one of the ways that their theology has evolved over the time is the ELCA church kind of broke off of a Lutheran denomination to become affirming. Is that correct? Um, they didn't break off. There are some other Lutheran bodies. So the ELCA is the biggest one in the United States. And then there's some smaller ones. The next biggest one is called the Missouri Synod, which mm-hmm. is not only in Missouri for some reason, but that's more conservative. They will not allow women to be pastors. They are clearly not having an LGBTQ conversation. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Wisconsin Synod. They think the Missouri Synod is going to hell. And then there's like smaller and smaller ones from there. So <laughs> so the ELCA is like the big one, which also means we have a bigger range of opinions. And there's a long kind of politicky history around this. But in 2009, the denomination voted in their assembly. They use this really wonky language. We found ways to publicly recognize publicly accountable, lifelong, monogamous, same-gender relationships. And then how to find ways to allow clergy and deacons who are in relationships to still be ordained or consecrated. Where previously, if you were gay in the ELCA, you had to be single and celibate. And if you were in a relationship, you'd get defrocked. A non-practicing homosexual. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But what's interesting is that sort of opened the door to be able to do other stuff. And there are still folks that are angry about this. If I go to certain places in the country or or conservative congregations, I just say 2009 in Lutheran churches, they all know what I'm talking about. Like that was the gay vote. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we hear a lot of stories of a lot of oppression and pain that being gay and being in the Christian church has caused but it seems to me that with your story that you were for the most part able to navigate both pretty smoothly and integrate them into your life as you were pursuing religion. Is there anything that you think helped you? One thing I think that helped for me to accept myself and understand myself really well, I had a really good pastor who probably took a lot of shit from me as an angsty teenager <laughs> and was and as I grew up became a really good friend. And he was someone who was affirming. He was someone who he like, look, this is where the church is. This is what the policy is. Mm. And sort of let me know that, but also like was really affirming for me. Like if I had had a bad experience with my pastor or with my parents, I think I'd be a completely different person. But what a great example for community and family to oh, yeah. rally around somebody because look at the path that you ended up taking, helping so many people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, And I think it's interesting. He, he's someone who encouraged me to become a, a pastor. People don't talk about deacons. They talk about pastors. And, and then when I say I'm gay, and at the time that was a policy, like, well, you can't. He knows church politics. And he sort of said, I think you'd be really well equipped. You should be one. He goes, but you know what? I don't know if I see in your lifetime that policy being able to change. When the vote happened, he was there at that convention. And he said to me, oh, I'm so happy that I was wrong. How did you feel when you saw that vote and, you know, now finally you can become a deacon within the church that you love so much? Well, (laughs) here's the thing. (laughs) I I got the degree in seminary. I was not looking to get ordained or to get consecrated. But God was knocking on your door, honey. (laughs) Well, here's the... Okay, I've got got opinions about that. God whooped at you. God whooped at you. (laughs) We, We... I mean, everyone talks about like, oh, you should be a pastor, you should be a pastor, you should be a pastor. And quite frankly, I don't I don't feel called to be a pastor. And to me, I think being a pastor means being a pastor of a congregation. It means administering sacraments and doing baptisms and communion and being, you know, heading a community like that. And and that's not what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. So when the policy change happened, I was like, eh, okay. 
And then when I kind of look further into this deacon thing, deacons have a call that is, I love this. They say it's at the margins where the church meets the world. Mm. And so it is a calling that is public facing. It's a calling that is grounded from the church, but I'm not tending to the flock of the church. I'm actually intended to be out there doing some good for the world on behalf of the church. And I think that's a really cool thing. Well, one of the ways that you are doing that is Franklin Graham recently set up a hospital in Central Park for the COVID-19 pandemic, right? And you have been kind of raising the alarm on this. Tell us, tell us more about that. Yeah. So Franklin Graham, if you don't know him, the son of Billy Graham. Um, Billy Graham's a fairly widely beloved televangelist. They're definitely a flawed person. And Franklin Graham sort of like inherited that mantle from him. Mm -hmm. But Billy Graham was very nonpartisan. He kind of was seen with all sorts of Mm -hmm. leaders and presidents and things. Franklin Graham is very partisan. He is an anti-LGBTQ activist, among several other things. And he decided that he was going to set up through his relief agency called Samaritan's Purse, this tent hospital in Central Park. And the initial concern was, this is a religious organization. They will not let anyone work at the tent hospital or volunteer or be involved with the tent hospital unless they've signed a something like a lifestyle covenant or a statement of faith that says that marriage is the union of one genetic male and one genetic female I, I had to sign one of those when I worked for Christian television. And, you know, I think what a lot of people are going to be like, oh, well, so what if they have a policy that says you have to abide by these ethics to work for them? You know, it's their freedom to, to do that here in America. But here's where it really rubs me the wrong way. Ooh, when you, it, girl. Oh, honey, it. The tea is hot. And when you really dive into Christian American evangelicalism, mm. one theology that's really popular is called Christian dominionism. And that is something that Pat Robertson, Jay Sekulow, Franklin Graham subscribe to. And what that theology says and what they believe is that they have to take over all social institutions, such as media, education, entertainment, politics, and so on, in order to usher in the second coming of Christ. So, today, yes, it just might be a policy of, here, sign this saying that you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, but tomorrow it's going to be something more. It's small right now, but if we don't speak up and speak out against these injustices, against this flawed, broken, toxic yes. theology that is creating this environment, it's going to progress. And, and I love that you are standing up and saying no more. What I keep imagining is when, when COVID traverses the country, because it will, it's not going to just rest in New York City or mm -hmm. in metropolitan areas, and it ends up in Boone, North Carolina, where Franklin Graham's headquarters are, mm -hmm. you know that there are LGBTQ people that are going to be there serving and healing and doctors and nurses and folks helping out. But you know what? We're probably not going to set up a big old rainbow tent to do it. Right. And if we did go there and set up a big rainbow medical tent, I can imagine the way that he would react to that. Like, well, why are they promoting mm -hmm. themselves and their identity and their agenda over the service? <laughs> I'm feeling the same way about these cross and blaze and tents in Central Park. Yeah. And I get, I work for a media organization. We're all about blasting out and broadcasting stuff, that's right? Great. But if what you're doing is a photo op rather than actual service, that's not helpful. It's not helpful to people who are sick. It's not helpful to us, the community. It's not even helpful to Christianity. Mm-hmm. 
I want people to hear some of these things that evangelical leaders are saying and how it can so quickly progress to something like what Russia is doing, where you can't even, you know, express yourself out in public uh, without being arrested. One thing we did at GLAD that I think is helpful, and I think it's a good resource for anyone that's listening, there's something called the Commentator Accountability Project, Mm -hmm. glad.org slash CAP, C-A-P. And Peter Spriggs on there, along with, uh, what, dozens of others, kind of the most high-profile anti-LGBTQ activists. So there's a profile of each person. So you get a sense of, you know, if they go on mainstream media and say like, oh, I'm representing the Christian point of view. And then, you know, no, you've actually said that you want to export people out of the country, right? Well, how do those things go together? To just to let people know exactly what folks have done and said, because most people don't realize that and they don't hear stuff like that. Right. I just want to say that I think it's horrible that somebody would want to export all of the queer people But if that is the case, put me down for a four-day weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds kind of fabulous. But, you know, I don't think we need more division. I'm not trying to bring divisiveness into it. I'm just trying to shed light on the true intentions, right? And to require accountability where it needs to be. And I think Franklin Graham needs to be held accountable for his words and his actions, not just him, but Peter Sprigg and for all the other evangelical associations out there. It's, It's important that we know these things so that we know who to align ourselves with, but also so we know how to come to the table and to have these conversations. And I think there's a place at the table for Peter Sprigg for Franklin Graham to talk with us, but they're not creating a space for us. And there's certainly queer people in those ministries that are helping push those ministries along. And Ross, what are some of the suggestions that you would have and what we can do to help combat this, but also as a minister, how can we incorporate peace more into our lives when this can, I don't know, for me, it really upsets me, but. Yeah. Yeah. I think so there's a couple of things. One of the realities that I remind myself is that God already has the world and God is already in the world in every part of it. There's nothing that we bring God or Jesus to that any sharing or telling that we do is just sharing and telling the way in which we've experienced God, recognizing that other people probably have also experienced God, and that this is going to be God's action and that this is God's world. Even as messed up and broken as we are, ultimately, God is in control here, right? And that it takes the responsibility off of us to either feel like others that, you know, they have to take over control of the world. They don't. And for us, We also don't have to try to control everything. And we're going to recognize that it's a broken, sinful world and shit happens all the time. The big thing about grace is that I don't expect good things to happen. So when they do, I am pleasantly surprised. (laughs) At the same time, I think it's going to be really important for those of us that are Christian and those of us that are inclusive or welcoming or are queer ourselves we have to be better at vocalizing that. We have to be better about talking about it and talking about what it is that makes us believe that LGBTQ people are a part of God's creation. I said before, the joke about the Lutherans that were the frozen chosen, and part of that is that sometimes we have not spoken up when we should. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to make waves. We don't want to make conflict. But I really believe that we proactively talk about this as something that we believe, because if we don't, then that void gets filled with folks that are really loud and really vocal mm-hmm. and able to take attention and and pull focus. And I'm now making it a part of my practice to make sure that I let people know what I believe, not in a way that I say, you have to believe the same way I do, but at least to let people know that there's some alternative. And then people ask me questions about it. They want to follow up. They want to hear more. 
the thing I've sort of learned through the naming project, and I'm thinking about this of how to teach other pastors and youth ministry folks this as well. You know, there's a lot of these like parachurch organizations of like do your mission trip XYZ or go to this youth gathering or something like that. And I want people to start asking, what's the theology behind the organization that's running this? If I give you money, is that going to go into a campaign that's going to ban healthcare for transgender people, right? Is it, or, or at a minimum, are the youth and people in, in my church going to be safe participating in you? I've got a gay kid. Is he going to be safe in this place? And I think those hard questions are going to produce hard responses, but they've got to be asked because right now the default understanding of Christian is anti-gay. And I also feel like they have to be asked before it's too late. Like, you know, a pregnant mom who's gay affirming, you would ask her, are you going to raise your child in the church? Yes, I am. Well, when around 13 to 16, when he comes out and says he's gay, what are you going to do? I love him no matter what. Great. Will he still go to the church? I hope so. Well, then what if the church isn't gay affirming? Well, then I'll leave the church. We'll find out now while you're pregnant, if your church is gay affirming before raising your child in a place that might not be safe for them mentally as they're growing older. We need to like hold our pastors and our churches accountable and start asking them, hey, I love gay people. I am a gay person. My brother's gay. My mom's gay. Whatever the situation is and say, how are you on that policy? And if they don't align with your beliefs, then you're in the wrong place. Yeah. Churchclarity.org is a great resource to find out if your church is affirming or get your church to go to churchclarity.org to state where they stand. I just don't think it's enough now to say, oh, we're okay with you coming in here with your partner and you guys sitting next to each other and holding hands and saying hello, but then you can't be an elder in the church. You can't climb up in the church. You won't ever be asked to be a part of certain activities. You'll never be affirmed in this church. You can't get married here. You can't get baptized here. Like if you have a child, that child would not be welcome in our daycare. Like we need to make sure. But we do have a choir and a passion play. We'd like you to participate. Yeah, and a collection (laughs) play. We'd love to put your money in. I think those are the questions that are going to have to be asked. And I, I get the issues that a lot of pastors are facing and they're, they're getting all sorts of opinions thrown at them and they're navigating this. But I do think it's incumbent on us to ask them to make sure that pastors know there are people that want welcoming, affirming congregations, that that's what they're looking for. And if it's not the place for us, then to say, you know what, I think it's going to be better for me and my family that we go try somewhere else. And to bring it all back to COVID, I think we have an opportunity right now that people can go experience and be a part of different kinds of faith communities, different kinds of churches, Mm -hmm. different kinds of worship experiences now, more than they ever could before. So there's an opportunity to say, okay, I do really care about this community. I do like this kind of worship. I do like how this is an affirming place. And it's weird to feel freer to do that because we're all cooped up at home, but you can do it, especially because they're all streaming online now anyway. I feel like a lot of these places that aren't gay affirming are making decisions that are financially based anyway and not emotionally oh, based. Yeah. So it's like, it's, like, it's like the decision with COVID that some of these churches want to have their congregation still show up. What is God not at home? All they care about is they're tithing. They're not getting the money that yep. they were getting every weekend. So they're willing to put yep. their own community at risk in order to still have financial gain. I mean, I would love in my lifetime if a place wasn't affirming of all colors and genders and sexual orientations, that they should lose their tax exempt status because it should be open to everyone or it should not be protected by the government. That's Mm -hmm. how I feel. I believe in taking people down a process. I'm not going to say like, oh, you have to do this. I don't want them just to say it. I want them to be able to live it. 
And I used to do trainings for churches of like, this is how you get to a place that if you adopted a welcoming statement, how you make sure that everyone in the congregation from the pastor down to the greeter at the front door is going to know how to live and abide and live into that welcoming statement. And since you asked me about the, the ELCA changing their policy 2009, that was the result of an eight year long study mm. that was done by the church. And I mean, that's long, that's a long yeah. time to have to wait. And it was supposed to be four and it got stretched out into eight, but it also came with a ton of Bible study of resources, of things that can actually change people in their heart and mind. Not to say you have to act this way because it's politically correct, but actually you need to act this way because this is who we as Christians are discerning ourselves to be. I want all of our responses to always be faithful responses. And I think LGBTQ inclusion in churches and in families and in homes is always the faithful response. Yeah, Ross, I think you're doing such great work with GLAAD and the advocacy of Absolutely. holding these evangelical organizations accountable. But you're at the same time while you're doing that work on the front lines, you are also creating a space for LGBTQ youth of faith to uh, be able to grow, learn, express themselves with your nonprofit called The Naming Project. I have a warm spot for The Naming Project. I Me feel like too. the advocacy, all that public stuff that I do really started there. It, mm -hmm. it started with that getting kicked out of the traveling music ministry, but mm -hmm. these two things kind of happened at the same time. Like, okay, how do we do youth ministry? I wanted to be a youth minister. That was gonna be my first job. All the big buck things that I go into youth ministry. Um, and, and then realizing, like, at that time in the early 2000s, there was no good youth ministry. Like, the LGBTQ religious organizations that I knew, one of them had a policy they wouldn't work with people under 18 because they were so scared of if there was any accusation of misconduct or something. Mm -hmm. So instead, they just said, like, no, we're not going to work with them under 18. I was like, well, that's dumb. Like, have a good policy in place. Screen mm -hmm. people, vet people. This is what youth ministry is and should be. And so... I talked to a friend about like, you know, could we create something? Could we do something? And it started a weekly meeting, Sunday afternoons in my, the basement of my friend's church. And then another guy came to us and said, I've always had the idea of wanting to do this as a summer camp. Can we have a summer camp with all gay kids? And we've been doing that for the last 17 years now. That means those first campers are now like well into their thirties. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud of them, the ones that I'm still in touch with. But I feel like the community and the week that we have together is such a sacred space. I don't know. Did either of you do Bible camp? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I did there, um, retreats and stuff like two-week retreats and things like that. Oh, there's just something about it. It is transporting and mm -hmm. your guard is down. You feel tight-knit with this community. Just like the space feels sacred for some reason. I have to say that one of the things that make me identify with it is the same thing when you're queer and you're in a queer space. There's something about like dancing in a gay club where you're just like surrounded by like everyone where it's okay just to be yourself and fully dance out loud without ever having any kind of reservations. And I think it's the same way for uh, being young when everything is cool or not cool. When you're with a bunch of other people and you're all able to praise and worship in one space together, there's something about that. Uh, commiseration that really gives you comfort and makes you be able to stand taller. And then to yeah. be able to take that with, you know, the gay aspect and the faith aspect and combine it once you've reconciled your faith and sexuality, if you've had to do that it's work. fully shining your light. Oh, yeah. The healing that comes. Yeah. I know. I would have loved to have been myself during all of that time. I was like the, the, the class clown of my youth group and it would be, how great would it have been if I could have just shown fully? Yeah. 
Yeah, and the Naming yeah. Project is doing that work. I know, and I think it's so incredible what you do with the Naming Project. Where can people donate to the Naming Project, um, especially during this time? Because I know you had to cancel your festivities this year. Do, do, well, everyone's canceling everything. But where could we donate to make sure that this lives on and, and does some great work in the future? TheNamingProject.org. That is where we put everything. There's a donation link at the top. You can see the plans we had for the July camp. Oh, and this weekend, I'm going to be updating that. Just let people know about cancellation um, stuff. But I think we're going to shift this year into a little bit of like online youth ministry pastoral care. On Easter, we did a virtual campfire, which oh, cool. was so. This, this is a thing. Like you know, camp songs are like the call and response sort of things. And I was like, oh, I'm going to sing something, and then I'm not going to hear whether everyone sings it back to me. So you can watch a video of me singing one of the dumb, silly songs that are at the beginning of camp. <laughs> You're like, kumbaya that, by myself. <laughs> it, yeah. There was one that I grew up with that was always the one, like, the most manly man. This is what they sang. It's controlled screaming is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I have always been scared of that song. And then a few years ago, I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to try it. And now the, like, the kids love this where I'm like, I it, no, you well, what's the song? Like, but hit it. Hit it's it. Called, <laughs> it's, called, <laughs> it's called Vista. And it is just like, and I, no one knows what the words are. I'm just making Can them you up. Can you hum a few bars? Maybe I'll, I'll catch along. Is, so, okay. You repeat after me. Right. B. 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 Kumalada, 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 vista. Kumalada, 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 vista. Ha na 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 vista. Ha na 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 vista. Eeny meeny decimini uwala walla meeny. Decimini salamini uwala walla meeny. Decimini salamini uwala walla meeny. Are we speaking in tongues now? I don't know. No, I was doing Harry Potter spells. I backed out. I backed out. Ross, that was incredible. You are amazing. Please do us a favor and keep singing out loud and shining your light everywhere. You are incredible. Where can everybody find you online? I am on the social medias in lay terms. And you can find me at Glad, uh, obviously. And you find me through the Naming Project. Ross, we close out with a prayer. Would you like to lead us in prayer? Yeah, I would be very happy to. I often start prayers by saying things like, the Lord be with you, and you can all say back, and also with you. That helps to like set the tone. Okay. So, okay. the Lord be with you. And, and also, also with you. God, we are so thankful to be together over phone lines and podcasts and the beauty of technology so that we can talk and laugh and praise and pray all together. Be with us through these unprecedented times when we don't quite know what's going on and we're making it up on the spot. We pray especially for those who are separated from loved ones uh, who are going through major life changes at a distance through FaceTime, through Skype, through Zoom. Uh, We pray for all the communities that have had to cancel. And we also pray and give you praise for all of the things and ways that people have stepped up to create ministry that is meeting people's needs, not doing out of ego, Mm -hmm. not doing out of self-promotion, but doing it because they are there to serve the neighbor. And we pray that you will continue to give us strength 
give us wisdom, keep us from injecting or drinking anything <laughs> stupid, and that we can protect and care for our neighbor who wants us to be over quickly, but we know we've got a long way to go, but we know that you are there with us, watching, praying, laughing, crying sometimes too. Mm. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Ross, thank you so much for joining us today on Yash Jesus. Yeah, this won't be the last time. Definitely not. Um, I'm Daniel Franzese, and you can find me at What's Up Danny anywhere online. And I'm Azariah Southworth, and I recently went through a rebranding, so you can find me <laughs> by just searching my name or religious trade on Instagram. Thanks so much for joining us on Yash Jesus. If you have a prayer request or a praise report, or you think that you might be a good guest or know someone who might be a good guest, please reach us at pray at yasjesuspod.com. And if you'd like to find us online, you can find us at Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Yas Jesus Pod. Thank you so much for listening to us once again on Yas Jesus. Jesus. Bye. Bye. Keep praising the Lord.